Hello and welcome to Softcats Explain It podcast series. My name is Dean Gardner, Softcats Field Chief Technology Officer. We're here to explain it. Every episode, our team of experts are here to talk tech in simple, jargon-free language. Over the course of this series, we'll be discussing new trends and ideas as well as solutions to everyday problems in this fascinating and ever-changing world of tech. And today is no exception, although a slight change of direction with a special episode. Today, I'm joined by Philippa Winter, Account Chief Technologist for Public Sector at Softcat. Philippa will be the main host for this special episode and will delve into the subject of the health service in the UK. We will be joined by a panel of experts to share insights and to have an open and honest conversation about this huge and important subject that certainly impacts us all. But fear not, my trusty listeners, I'll be lingering in the background and chipping in where I can. But for now, I will hand you over to the capable hands of Philippa to lead the way. Thanks, Dean. Hi, everybody. So my name's Philippa Winter. I'm the Account Chief Technologist here at Softcat for Healthcare. And I've brought you a lovely lot around today to talk around integrated care. Why are we talking about this? Well, it's a hot topic. As we know, the laws have changed and we've got a new NHS plan, which is driving integration. And so I wanted to bring some esteemed colleagues from the NHS to talk to you today about how we navigate integrated care systems and what the ups and downs or the good and the bad and the ugly could be. But fundamentally, as a clinician and as a background, for me, this is about driving integration being a really good, highly performing team. But how do we do that? How do we break down the culture? And how do we make things right for our citizens? So I'm going to introduce the panel, please, today, starting with Stephen, then Jeffrey, and then Daniel. If you could please tell me about yourself and uh, your impact around integrated care systems and the boards, please. Stephen. Hi, I'm uh, Steve Kalik. I'm the Associate Director for Design and Solutions at Surrey Borders uh, NHS Trust and we're a mental health trust. Um, I lead a number of technical teams including our software development services and uh, innovation uh, team. We are an interesting one really because we sit across two uh, ICSs. We sit across Surrey Heartlands and also Frimley Health. Um, so we have several masters that we're trying to uh, to please at the moment uh, and work with. But also we um, have a unique perspective because we are a mental health trust and obviously a, a Across the other two ICSs are a number of, um, of, of acute trusts uh, that have their own needs and, uh, and demands. Um, so sometimes we can find it hard to get our voice heard. Thanks, Stephen, for that. Over to Geoffrey, please. Hi, I'm uh, Jeff Wood. I'm the Deputy Director for ICT at Princess Alexander Hospital. We're based in Harlow, Essex, um, which um, is just sort of north of London along the M11 corridor. So we pick up um, traffic from out of London uh, when their hospitals are full. And we're also the responsible hospital for Stansted Airport. A little bit like Stephen, we sit in two sort of counties rather than two ICSs. So we're part of the West Essex and Hearts uh, integrated care system, but we are actually based in Essex and Essex have their own integrated care system. And we belong to their HSCN via the Essex Coin Community of Interest Network. So we have a, a few difficulties in how we deal with things as well. And I don't think from what I've seen, that's too uh, uncommon in the NHS generally. Not at all. Thanks, Jeffrey. And over to Daniel, who's possibly got a little bit of a different uh, spin on this one. 
Well, possibly, maybe <laughs> not, maybe. Um, I'm Daniel Hallen. Um, I use the pronouns of he and him. I am the Head of Digital Technology and Digital Urgent Emergency Care, and I work for NHS England as part of the Northwest Regional Team. Um, so we work um, sort of in combination with the ICB footprints and our partners across health and care um, to look at how we integrate and how we do things together. So I have two hats. One is the assurance side, but I also have a program uh, side, which is delivering certain key parts of, of, of our integrated infrastructure in the background. Thanks, Daniel. That's fabulous. Um, really, why are we talking today? As I said, this is a new way of working in the NHS, but alongside social care and how we come together as a citizen. And at Softcat, what's really important from our point of view is that we've changed the way we work. We've changed our whole teams. Rather than being healthcare and local authority, we've now merged our teams, as from the 2nd of August, to become the integrated care and government's team, because we know it's really important around sharing that information, sharing that intelligence, but also how do we support you as organisations and integrated care partners to really start to rationalise how you can integrate and how we as suppliers can support you in that journey. So also, um, we're hoping that you'll come and visit us down at the HET Show in London at Excel in the last week on the Tuesday and the Wednesday of September. Um, it would be lovely to see you. And obviously, we are launching our team there. So without further ado, thank you for joining us today. And I'm going to focus on Jeffrey first, please, if that's all right. So integrated care systems, it's really about being a journey, isn't it? And they need to be owned locally. But how do you feel or what do you feel is the key to success? So, uh, yeah, I, it's an interesting one because I think um, these are developed. I've come from a local authority into the NHS. So um, I've sort of been used to the STPs, which were the forerunner for the ICS. And there were various forerunners before then as well. And I think the difficulty that a lot of trusts face at the moment is they don't talk to each other as much as they, they ever should. First thing I did when I, I got into uh, the trust was start talking to colleagues around me in different trusts and, and the reactions I got were, were sort of stunned silence half of the time. So I think the ICS is a, a definitely a way forward to get us talking together. The difficulty is, is we will go through the same as what local authorities went through, is trying to move us forward from becoming just a talking shop to actually an action-based um, integrated care board. And I think that's where the culture of the NHS is going to struggle for a short period of time. We've started doing a few procurements as part of the ICB uh, and pulling things together, you know, those easy stuff that you should be able to pull together. But I, I think even then there's still some reticence from different people because we all act in a different way. We all want different SLAs. We all want, you know, to see different types of services included and not included. Uh, and, and quite a few of us are, are not keen on the standard uh, NHS frameworks that are uh, used for contracts, etc. So it becomes difficult. But I think at that first step of us talking and, and getting everybody engaged is the one that's really going to drive some culture change for all of the teams. Thanks, Jeffrey. So I suppose what you're saying is the proof's in the pudding, isn't it? And actually putting that challenge to actually do something different. And it's all about action. Steve, what are your thoughts on that one? So... Firstly, I'm um, completely agree on the uh, on the collaboration side. Um, I'm relatively new to the NHS, and uh, I've come from the private sector. Um, 
previously worked you know with many other companies to put solutions together um, and coming into the NHS and finding that a lot of people are regarded about you know, their particular patch and their particular solution um, and it's just about how we can open that up and uh, and, and share it um, something I'm working on at the moment is a uh, sharing community for code uh, within the NHS um, and we've recently done a, a nice thing completely outside of our ICS but we've worked with Midlands Partnership Trust um, to share some programs we've we've developed uh, and we're putting those out for any other NHS trust just to take it um, and I guess that's really what the you know the ICS is we're going to be able to lead with is um, keeping that communication and letting us know what's going on in the acutes letting us know what's going on in in the primary care side um, and bringing us all together um, but ultimately you know having somebody that can listen to the local population I think is key so you know getting that message about the person's entire healthcare journey from start to end and understanding um, you know what services need to come in at what time um, and in turn what data we need to have about those people and how that data can be shared Thanks, Steve. So, Daniel, coming from a more regional and national perspective, what are your thoughts on that? It's an excellent question, and I agree with what colleagues have said before. It's always about people. Uh, I'm going to nick a phrase from from a colleague for a few back for years back. You know, it's a little bit of stuff. It's a lot about people. So, you know, you have to look at what the people are doing and bringing people together. It doesn't really matter what the the, the acronym or the name is, whether it's an ICB or whether it's an ICS, STP, a CCG, all the wonderful acronyms that we like to use in, in, in business life. It actually, it comes down to getting people together and talking in the right room. But there is a, a point in, in the question that you actually asked, Philippa, about you know about it being local. What do we define as local? Because that means very different things to very different people. You know, you and I both live in sort of like some of the more rural parts of of, of the northwest, and you know what local means there is something completely different from what it might mean in the centre of London or the centre of Manchester. So you have to almost start to say, well. You know, what is it that's actually needed locally and what means something to that person and that group of people in that area? Because if we start going out into really rural patches, of, particularly in Cumbria, you know, you, you're talking that your next town might be 20, 30 miles away. And actually that the needs that you have might be completely different and looking at a different population set than, say, the centre of Blackburn. So it comes down to the people every single time. And if you get people talking, you get people engaged with the process, it doesn't really matter what the name is on the tin. They will want to do it. And people are invested in what they want to do, whether it be professionals uh, from any walk of life, but also patients. You know, They're invested in what they want to do. I've seen that this last few days um, and weeks in, in some of the EPR go lives that we've had. Patients are interested on a new system. They want to know what's going on. So that segues perfectly into my next one really is around citizens. We are all citizens. We are all patients at some time in our life. How can we involve them better, I suppose, in this formation and obviously the complex nature of what an ICS and all those partners actually bring, but what we can do in these new ways of working? So again, I suppose, Daniel, while I'm with you, what can we do that's uniquely? You've just been part of a really good go live, I know, at Manchester, um, and you've been part of a go live with me previously in my previous career which is so important but what do we need to do to make sure those citizens have a voice 
I think we sometimes forget that when we talk about citizens and patients, we are those citizens and patients as well. And we sometimes sort of create this myth that we've got to go out and, and speak to other people, which is right and proper. But we should also speak to the 1.3 million people that work for the NHS because they are citizens and patients at the same time. So, you know, embrace that, that sort of conversation. But we have, you know, many patient groups out there. We have people who will be interested. Um, and if you put a flag up and say, we would actually like you to contribute, you will get interested parties who will go, you know what, I wouldn't mind having a bit of a, a chat about that. Something as simple as getting out to the front line. I've done this in, in, in the last eight years I've worked in the NHS and previously in, in, in different parts of my career, is getting out and talking to people, spending time with the front line, sitting and talking, as I've done over the recent days and weeks, and I did with the, the Go Live With Yourself, Philip, a few years back, you know, sitting and talking to patients, just saying, you know, what, is it, what does this mean to you? What do you want out of it? So it's taking that time and taking that really, really positive approach to say, actually, I'm going to actively engage rather than wait for somebody to come and talk to me. Go out there, seek the patient, seek the voice. You might not always like what you hear, but you know what? You'll get an answer. That's lovely. Steve, I suppose with you, you you've got a much more difficult and sort of um, hard to reach population as well obviously with mental health. So what do you think around that aspect and what are you doing in your area around the ICS to make sure that people are involved? Yeah, I mean, firstly, just just to mention on um, on Daniel's point, I think is, is excellent. We do have a huge workforce, and um, I was recently at a, a presentation with Microsoft, who pointed out that they've got two hundred and twenty thousand employees, and that's where they test their products first. Um, and that's certainly something we should yeah we should consider and be looking at. Um, so yeah, thank you for that, Daniel. That's that's really a really good point. Um, in terms of where where we're doing for mental health, I think one of the the important things to consider is um, just having our kind of membership meetings that um, uh, some of the population attend. It's always the same faces um, and also often creates a bit of an echo chamber. Um, so something that we're trying to do a bit more, certainly from the digital leadership side, is getting out and seeing the services in action. Um, so at the moment, once a week, I'm, I'm getting out to the services and meeting both our healthcare professionals and, and learning from them, but also meeting some of the patients and understanding their needs. Uh, and how we can maybe better uh, provide to them. But the things that we're doing are a bit different is um, we now have a service that we're offering um, called a uh, first a mental first aid practitioner course. Uh, and we're going out to uh, corporations and um, providing uh, mental health support for them. Um, and we also have a service called the Recovery College, um, which really is um, preventing issues uh, better than the cure. So we have a number of services where people can attend and talk about any problems or concerns they have. Um, and we're trying to capture people before they go down a dark rabbit hole, really. Um, and and the, that's really what the, the Recovery College is, is based around uh, for, for a number of different services. So um, that, that, that's kind of our, our core focus to, uh, to help make some changes. I would say, though, I, you know, I really would um, like to see a bit more um, shadowing and uh, employee crossover between the trusts and the um, ICS organisations as well. That's great. Cheers, Steve, for that. And especially around some of that best practice you're doing down in Syrian borders. So thank you for that. Jeffrey, 
I know that you obviously work in an acute organisation, but I couldn't be, re be remiss of me to not talk about your experience in local authority and also maybe what you feel in respect to that about how the other part of this is around focusing on the citizens rather than a patient and care element. Can you talk to us about that? Yeah, absolutely. So I think residents are key. Uh, and I think we saw that a lot more in COVID um, because, of course, we weren't just looking after the patients. We actually had relatives and people that wanted to come in and visit. Uh, they weren't patients of ours. They were on the phone all the time. And, of course, we had those horrible times where they couldn't see their loved ones. Uh, so we had to widen our views and our vision. I think um, at PAHT, we're, we're very lucky in that we are one of the hospitals that are going to be given money to build a brand new hospital. And that's allowed us to talk more to our, our local residents you know, about where it's going to be sited, what it needs to look like, all those sort of things, which has, has brought us more interaction than we had previously. And we also have a very, very active patient panel. I think for us, the things that we find are that the people that tend to come to these things are patients, have had experience of being a patient, do tend to be a little bit older, maybe retired, have got more time to assist and do those sort of things. So we're missing out on that younger generation, those younger people sometimes. And I still don't think we tie in enough to the health authorities um, that are local to us, our local authorities. We're quite close with our mental health trust, but again, you know, they struggle with the amount of trusts that they look after, probably the same as Stephen. It's not just one trust that they, they're in, they're probably in 20, 30, if not more trusts. So I, I do think there is still some gaps that we have to pick up with. And I think getting people engaged is difficult. We're just lucky because we've got the hospital, uh, the new hospital being built. So it's quite exciting for everybody and everybody wants to have a voice on that. And that allows us to reach out for other areas. But I think once that's over, we are going to struggle like a number of other trusts to get the right people and a good cross section of people, people that are uh, digitally not as literate as as we would expect, um, those sort of people to join in the conversations because we we've relied a lot since COVID on digital to get the messages across and to get the feedback back. Thanks, Jeffrey. I suppose in a, in a way, there's a little call to arms from all of you there, isn't there? To anybody that's listening to this podcast, to get their children, mothers, fathers, in-laws, cousins, next door neighbours, I suppose, involved. Because at the end of the day, you know, that's the only way we can get things right, isn't it? So call to arms for everybody that's listening today, if, if, if you will. Philippa, can I ask a question? You can. So obviously, I'm, I, I, thank you. I'm, I'm sort of listening in and it's <laughs> fascinating. Um, and I, I'm playing the role of the citizen. Let's call it that. Um, so when you met, when you talk about ICS, can you can you be clear on what that actually stands for? Because there's a lot of the acronyms is, is, is I'm trying to get my head around what that is. Um, and secondly, yes, who's part of an ICS in terms of the bodies that, that we're talking about here? Because obviously we talk about mental health and we talked about, you know, NHS. But are there other factors or bodies in there as well that are part of it or plan to be part of it? Absolutely, yes. So this is where I'm tested uh, by my colleagues to check that I don't miss anything. So yes, ICS 
integrated care systems. So as Daniel mentioned earlier on his his piece, we've been, you've probably seen over the last 20 years, health boards, local authorities, all the different things that we might have been called, commissioning groups, etc. So now what we've got in the UK, in England, is 42 integrated care systems. These 42 integrated systems are based on a demographic area, and as you can imagine, are different sizes in population and have different partners within that. Normally, the partners will always have are acute hospitals, um, primary care, things like dentistry, pharmacy, local authorities, mental health services, some also sort of health watch, public health um, and other charities that may be sort of really quite active within that demographic area. And basically what it's around is to try and utilise the NHS and local authority pound better, so the public pound, to try and break down some of those silos that we've talked about today, to actually make sure that for that population in that integrated care system is is provided for on a place-based system for their needs and their needs ongoing. So then if you think about that as a wider area, if you bring together all that data to understand what that population needs, you know, how much depravity is there or certain conditions that they might have or it could be poor housing that then leads on to poor healthcare or difficulty engaging children in education, which we know then impacts on their healthy life as they grow older. So there's so many different things that can impact on that ICS demographic. And basically the board, which is at the top of that, is brought together by senior individuals from all the organisations in that integrated care system. And what they then need to do is to work to break down those silos and those cut that culture to understand what do they need to achieve for their citizens in that area, right from birth to sadly people passing away, and to work on making sure when you talk about the government, that we level up. So what that means as well is around maturity in that area. So if we're talking about technology, it's really important if you've got a demographic. So if I talk about Greater Manchester, obviously a large area with 10 acute hospitals in there, 10 local authorities, a number of different partners. But then you might have some people that have got electronic patient records for 20 years and some that have none. How can you start to leverage that? that data or leverage the health of your citizens and understand that when there's a massive mismatch in maturity. So the board has got a really hard job and because not only have they got to look at their demographic, but they've also got to look at how do they invest in that area to make sure there's a no postcode lottery within that and we start to invest fairly across the piece and how we integrate because fundamentally if you bring everybody to a foundational level that then you've got that understanding you've got the data you've got the connectivity your workforce can work how they need to and access people and your citizens can access you know all your resources that needs to be leveled up so that obviously comes in the levelling up agenda as well. So I think I've talked enough around just explaining what that is. And every single one will have very different issues. 
Philippa, if I may, though, um, I'll just just give a, a real life example of how, how some of this is starting to change now. Um, you know, previously, many of our, our service users um, would be coming from uh, acutes where they've landed in A&E with a particular problem, um, be that uh, substance or, or you know, physical uh, abuse, um, you know, dieting issues and general well-being. Um, but now we're working, you know, a lot closer than we ever have with uh, with Surrey Council, um, again, to try and work out. Uh, strategies that we can implement that are uh, preventative and you know try and discover these people before uh, they go down that right yeah that, that dark rabbit hole and end up in in a and e um, and we can make those changes so that's kind of a, a real life real life example of how actually this this integrated service is is providing better communication channels and ultimately better care for the uh, for the health population thanks Steve Dean, any other questions with regards to to that? And I'm sorry, it's like technology. The healthcare and local authority has got more acronyms than you can throw at us. Thank you so much. And I think just yeah, it's just just trying to come at it from a, a layman's terms perspective because it's not part of my world. I can definitely talk about the tech side of it, but uh, but certainly when it comes to the systems and the integration points and all of the different bodies, I think it's one of those things where I don't think people recognise how complex it actually has become and it is through the evolution of the last X amount of years. So trying to retrofit or improve and all these things that you're talking about, it's a huge challenge and uh, needs a huge uh, emphasis from many different bodies and people, etc., to make it work, including, I think you mentioned it earlier, the people themselves. Absolutely. So taking us on to technology, Jeffrey, what do you think in regards to technology should be tackled first as an ICS? So I think digital maturity. Um, I do think that we are not just um, our patients, our residents, but I actually think some of our staff lack the digital um, literacy that they need across these these areas. And I think if we can get that right, if we can train people to understand the extent to which they can use the technology uh, and or even just basics like understand what digital is, you know, digital isn't technology. It's all the people, the process, the, the data that's coming out with that. If we can get people to understand and buy into that, then I think we'll go a long way to be able to improve things from there onwards. So for me, yes, definitely digital literacy or maturity. Daniel, your take on that? So absolutely, digital maturity is, is, it comes down to the skills and people again, you know, a common theme here. I would go um, to take a, a slightly different uh, path on this one and look at uh, an understanding of technology. Um, so one of the things that pervades not just the health service, but many organizations that I've worked in, uh, in over the years is a lack of understanding of what, um, you know, constant refresh of technology and, and the, the updating of technology means. Um, there's all those various sort of laws that come into it of, you know, technology updates itself every so often, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, you don't use a mobile phone from, from uh, 10 years ago because it simply won't work. So you have to sort of sit there and go, right, okay, have an understanding a, a, across an organization that you need to, to, to update technology. It's not just a one purchase or a one-time purchase. You're going to have to refresh technology. You're going to have to invest in technology. And just to sort of give some sort of uh, figures in the background, you know, as an NHS, uh, we spend about 1.7% of our annual turnover as a total NHS body on digital. 
Now, if you're looking at the sort of hitting the sort of levels that, that we need to be spending technology on, that needs to be closer to five to seven percent. And you look at banks, they will spend you know 10, 20, 30, 40 percent of their turnover on digital because that's a different business, core business. So we need to be looking at actually investing in technology. If we're going to become a technologically competent organization, and it's not just the tech, it's not the black box on the desk, it's also the making sure that we have the resource and the skills. And as Jeffrey rightly said, if we invest in the staff and the, and the, the people that are doing the job and make them the technical champions of, of what they can do, they will then sit with their, their service users, their patients, their residents, and they will say, actually, I can do this. This is how you do it. Um, so you'll start to get that much more sort of uh, richer feel around a digital. Uh, and technology stops being this, for those of us that are, uh, have been around a little while, technology stops being that little dark thing that sits in the basement um, and gets ignored for a lot. It's now a core part of the way that we do things. Thank you, Steve. Absolutely. I'm kind of banging the same drum, really, around digital maturity. It's something that needs to be taken uh, you know, a lot more seriously, and, and especially when we consider some of the cyber risks that uh, that we all face nowadays. Um, you know, that requires significant investment um, to make sure that we're keeping our data and our services uh, you know, up and running and uh, safe and secure. Um, so that, that that investment is is desperately needed. Um, the other side as well is around the the sharing of data. Um, again, making it secure, um, but also making it available enough um, for us to have the right systems in place um, to to you know, access and share that data among the um, not just the um, uh, the ICSs, but you know, again uh, the wider health health population across the UK. And that's something that's, you know it's amazing. We're in this place where we're still um, having to go to warehouses and dig out folders to, to get data. I, I saw a, a wonderful picture recently of Northwick Park and their um, paper library completely emptied um, now that they've gone um, you know, completely digital. Um, and, and, and that's where we all need to strive towards, really. Absolutely. I suppose on the back of that, I'm, I'm, I'm going to put to you all really, but um, about how you think suppliers and vendors that hopefully will be listening to us today can help you. But not only on that as well, I will, I will ask you about that, but also with regards to size, how do we ensure that our ICS boards really understand what that cyber risk means, not only around the data, but as we change the platforms, as we sort of evolve the workforce to be more agile and be out there and working across different organisations to really prevent duplication and what we need to do? Have any of you got a golden nugget? Because let's face it, sometimes you think they've got the investment, they've got the investment, and now you're secure. But you're only secure for today, aren't you? So if I was the ICB board, what would it be that you would say to me about making sure that we continue to keep secure around all those things that I've said? I'm going to put that to Jeffrey, please. <laughs> That's a really difficult question there. Cybersecurity, I think, has has come a long way since WannaCry, which is the the commencement, I think, for a lot of people. And and the NHS suddenly looked at itself more critically to see where its issues were. And there are a number of organisations that help NHS trusts and CCGs, etc., to develop their cyber. Um, side. Um, I'm quite happy to say that um, my own trust is, I think, about fourth in the UK within the NHS for our cybersecurity. So we do look at it in great detail. 
But again, it's not a full-time job for our team. It's it's an add-on to other people's jobs. And I think this is where the ICB can really make a, a difference. And actually, this is something where you could have a cyber security team across the ICB that could be called in for, for different things and at different times of the, the year to help uh, the individual trusts to, to get the right levels that they need to. I think it does have more scrutiny at exec board and across um, non-exec um, boards as well. I think that's helped significantly because it has seen to be an issue for not just the NHS, but uh, across the country. Again, uh, the Ukraine-Russia war um, has helped to, to push that sort of side of things. So I do think we are better than we were. The problem is we will never be good enough because every day, we have to do everything right, but uh, hackers and um, cybersecurity penetration um, type people only have to get it right once uh, and that will bring a trust down. So it's a really difficult thing for us to always be pushing forward on. And, and it's one of those um, pots that could just be infinitely spent and you would still not get to the 100% security mm. that you want. Pretty impressive, Jeffrey. Fourth in the country. I think people will be contacting you after this one to say, "What's your, <laughs> what's your magic?" Daniel, you smiled when Jeffrey said that. I'm sure you've got something to say. You know me; I've always got something to say. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, there's a couple of contexts around this, and you're right, Jeffrey. WannaCry was kind of a watershed moment in in bringing cybersecurity out of the basement, for want of a better term, and really woke up quite a few boards and quite a few of the non-technical folks to, to actually, this could be a risk. We, could, we might have to do something about this. So there is absolutely a piece around making sure that the boards and the non-technical folk are trained and are aware of what this can mean, what this can do. We do a lot of stuff around um, infection control. Um, so, you know, simple things like nothing below the elbow uh, when you're, you're on a ward. Uh, um, and all the sorts of stuff about, you know, wearing masks, keeping your hands clean, constant stuff that we do around sharps and stuff in, in, in clinical areas. We almost, and we are doing, taking the same sort of approach um, in saying, well, actually, you know, if you do something wrong in infection control, you can do quite a lot of damage to, to a group of patients and, and people. But the same as with cybersecurity, you can do the same sort of damage and potentially more. So you have to sort of um, look at these in, in, in context of, of, of that sort of level of understanding. But... You know, let's not be too hard on ourselves. There's a lot of work that's been done, and Jeff, you touched on that on this the, the right way. You know, some of the stuff that's in the northwest, we have got collectives, um, and I think of Cheshire and Merseyside and Lancashire and South Cumbria, um, the two of the ICBs that have got a really collective group of cybersecurity specialists that are working together. So yes, individual organisations might look at their own cybersecurity landscape and some of the technology they've got, but then they'll also collaborate and say, actually, we've got this bit of kit, let's link it together and do that sort of stuff. And I am very proud to say that, you know, those are the areas that we work in. We've got some of the best cybersecurity specialists, in my humble opinion, that, you know, we, we can have across the organizations. And, and Philippa and I have both worked, and Philippa's successor, uh, indeed, uh, at the trust that she uh, she left a, a few years ago, is one of our leading cybersecurity specialists. And you, you sort of ask those sort of folks, you know, what is it you need to do? And ideally, in the perfect environment, like I suppose every environment, 
don't put a user on the other end of the computer as the starting <laughs> point. You can't live like that. You can't do those sort of things. So you have to recognize humans are fallible. Humans will do things wrong. Humans will ignore things. So you look at the, the, the behavioral or the technical tools that sit around it. And you say, right, what can I do to make things as easy as possible whilst protecting people at the same time? You look at car manufacturing. They do the same. They don't stop you driving the car. They put the stuff around you and wrap the cotton wool around you to make sure you can drive it safely. And that's the key with cybersecurity is recognizing that human beings are here. They will make further errors and they will do things. But you know what? In the onslaught of everything else that goes on, like you say, from Ukraine and from some of the more um, uh, negative partners in the world, this is a day-to-day basis thing that we, we have many systems in protecting. And I'm proud to say that the NHS, from all the government departments, is, is recognized as actually leading the way on how we deliver cybersecurity. Thanks, Daniel. Steve, I'm going to sort of flip this a little bit for you. So because you've come from private sector and obviously now into the NHS, in respect to this and to other things around the ICS, what do you think suppliers need to do to support you in this? It talks in the actual NHS plan around organisations and industries coming together to do that thought leadership. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think it's a great opportunity, really, for the private sector um, that maybe have some of the maturity and investment uh, around cyber to help um, educate uh, best practices as well. Um, there's always going to be a price tag assigned to that. Um, so it's a case of understanding, you know, w- what's the best fit for um, the NHS trusts and the ICSs and the ICBs um, to uh, to come to an agreement on, on how to implement that. But I think, uh, again, in terms of thought leadership and best practices, uh, there's a lot that you know, people like yourselves and, and other suppliers um, you know, can help and, and assist us with. I think as well, it's uh, a case of um, of training. And, um, and similarly to what you know, Daniel said, uh, something I've heard before, if you want to secure a mobile device, turn it off, lock it in a safe and throw away the key. Um, but then it doesn't become very usable. And... Um, we need to train and trust our users, um, you know, to use these devices in a, in a, in a safe way. Um, and I, I love the uh, connection into um, infection control there as well. And, and that's really where where we need to get to. But ultimately, um, yeah, I think this is an area that suppliers um, can really get behind and help us. Um, and by providing these type of value add services. Um, you know, we can have those connections and get closer um, and effectively buy more kit from you um, and, and other suppliers, um, you know, if those value-add services are coming in uh, wrapped up with those as well. Absolutely. It is all about value, isn't it? And that that we're trying to achieve an outcome. So thanks for that. So I think I'm, I'm on to my last question now, um, and I will come to you all individually because I'm sure you will have a different thought. So I'll start with... Um, Jeffrey, if that's all right. So fast forwarding, if you could be like in Back to the Future, uh, in 10 years time, what does good look like to you for an ICS and what would your ambition be? So I guess an ICS that's um, leading the way uh, and a focal point for anything that's going on in the area not just in terms of uh, local authorities, but also police and fire, etc. So we really bring the public sector into one voice and one body that we can all 
pull from on times that we need help information we know that they will have um, handled a procurement that we can tap into whether it's you know on the back of or or use their their procurements to help us get the right things for for our uh, end users our patients our residents so i guess for me it's that trusted central point that every single one of us can refer to and is leading the way for all of the organisations that fall under its umbrella. Cheers, Geoffrey, that's fab. And you, Daniel, what's Utopia look like for you in ICS world? Well, if we're talking about uh, Back to the Future, I'd expect there to be flying cars at the, at the very <laughs> least by that point. So, yeah, I mean, it's that utopia that, that I think we all look for is, is, is making sure that people are working together, that we are doing things in a, in a common way, as, as Jeffrey's just said, you know, working together, bringing the, the, the public organizations, but also bringing private organizations together. Um, because, you know, we are all human beings wanting to achieve something here and wanting to do something better for the greater population. But the, the, the key thing I'd really like to see sort of in, in 10 years is a skilled population. And this isn't just about sort of skills in digital and being able to use digital technology in, in a robust way. It's a, it's a skilled population that can say, you know what, I can look after my own health and care. I can start to make decisions uh, on the sort of thing I do. And, and a really small example that we've got now that we need to grow is the Libra freestyle stuff that we do with type 1 diabetics, uh, where they have a little device that's attached to their arm and they can scan the, the mobile phone over it and they can make a real-time judgment about what their blood sugars are and then make decisions about do I eat that cake? Don't I eat that cake? As a diabetic myself, you know, I'm sort of wanting to be able to make those judgments in, my, in, my, in the next 10 years. So it's having the skills to be able to manage your own life, your own healthcare, and then having the support from those public services to then help you when you can't, when that, that, that level of need goes above your own ability to be able to do it yourself. And that's what I would see as the, the absolute utopia for being in an ICS. That's amazing. Thank you. It is, isn't it? I think, you know, myself coming from a clinical background, everyone that I speak to, for me, it's more around that population health, isn't it? And that self-management. But also, how can we, as technology suppliers and vendors, make that accessible? make that access accessible to our citizens um, and that it's easy to use. You know, we all use our phones and we all use apps. And I think I've always said it's not the technology that won't do it. It's normally culture or some bureaucracy. So, yeah, absolutely. Steve? I uh, really want to see, again, uh, prevention better than cure. So the fact that communication um, can really improve that. And you know, we, we can be talking to, whether you're talking to the GP about a problem or you're talking to a nurse in A&E or um, you know, you're at your local pharmacy um, talking to the pharmacist, you, that data and that information can come back. And those people working in all those organizations can also be aware of services that are available. Um, as a mental health trust, we have so many services available to people that you know, before I joined the trust, I, I didn't know um, that you could just turn up and um, you know attend uh, sort of various well-being uh, courses or you know, understand about um, things that family members might be going through um, as well. So it's not just about your own well-being and your own care, but you can also help support other people. And it's just about knowing that that service is available. So again, having all that relevant signposting uh, in place uh, in, in 10 years time, that should just be you know, part of the course. 
Um, the other thing that I'd like to see in 10 years' time as well, or really in, in, in six months to one year's time, ideally, um, is is more, uh, again, staff collaboration. Um, you know, one of the issues that I, I do see that we're facing with um, uh, yeah, ICSs and, and ICBs um, is um, yeah, where all the staffing members coming from, especially in digital. Uh, as we all know, um, you know, people can get a um, potentially a better salary in, in the private sector. So here in the public sector we are attracting people for different reasons that they, they decide they want to come and come and work in the NHS and um, there is a limit to those number of people and I've recently lost a number of um, real A players in my team to a, a ICS and an ICB and it's just about how can we work together to keep that finite resource um, and that information flowing. Uh, and that's something I really would like to work more. And personally, it's uh, something I'm going to pledge to do is see how I can go and spend at least one day a month um, going working at our local ICS and, and kind of getting those touch points and seeing how we can you know, uh, collaborate uh, better than we currently are. Great, Steve. Thank you. So I think uh, wrapping up, unless Dean's got something to say, really, and, and it's what I hear with all the customers and all the CIOs that I go to visit and C-suite, is that we need to eat culture up, don't we? And that to only do that, it's all about people, workforce and communication. So all the basics that we actually all were brought up with and that we all have is about keep talking, isn't it? Keep sharing. And I think fundamentally, remember why we're here. We're here for our citizens, aren't we? And to try and break down some of that bureaucracy. So it's been really lovely to hear your cohesive way and actually what your all ambition is around this. And I do believe the ICS is absolutely the right way forward, but the only way for a success is for us all to drive that forward. Dean, have you got anything that you'd like to do in wrapping up? Just to say thank you, first of all. I think it's been fascinating listening in. Um, I do have one final question, and I'll be keen to get perspectives. The last couple of years has been challenging for all different reasons, as we know, and I won't go into those. And um, I think we can all applaud the work that's gone into helping us through a very challenging period across this sector. But lessons learned, there must have been many lessons learned. And obviously, I'm not asking for you know loads of, loads of examples, but do you think it's sped up some of the improvements that you're talking about today and, and kind of shone a light on them for us to then focus on these things? Um, and, and do you think if that hadn't happened, do you think it, progress would have been slower? If I may, um, I mean, when it was happening, I was mostly on the private sector um, side and uh, I helped um, working with David Wallacher at Oxford put together a easy video calling system, um, which enabled patients uh, to stay in touch with loved ones uh, while visitors weren't allowed in, in hospital. And... You know, just seeing the speed that we put that together, we worked with a, a number of other large companies, uh, Amazon and, uh, and a video company, and within two weeks put together a product um, and within three weeks had rolled out 250 tablets um, into Oxford, uh, enabling them to uh, to talk to loved ones. That There's no way that would have happened pre-pandemic um, to, you know, to actually get a product built and rolled out um, and it live in use in, in three weeks. It was uh, It was quite something to see and really just showed uh, that it can be done. Absolutely. As CIO, um, I've never seen anything like it. 27 years in the NHS as a clinician for 18 of those and and then obviously in informatics. Um, those few first six weeks 
you can't believe what tech we put out there and how many we put patients um, obviously for video consultation but not only that virtual working at home virtual working at home for some real high spec um, you know computerized for radiologists to be able to continue doing the work um, and that was hundreds of staff and 2,000 laptops obviously all brought in imaged put out within a couple of weeks that was no mean feat because we didn't have any extra staff you know we absolutely relied on blood sweat and tears of our staff uh, to make sure that happened um, but also the, inv the investment was massive and we got a lot of investment from the centre um, but also a lot of support from the suppliers which actually as a CIO was really really helpful and very very supportive at that time or else we would never have achieved it Daniel so I whenever I talk about you know um, the early part of 2020 onwards I, I, I term it as the world changed um, I've stopped calling it COVID now because it was to me the world changed uh, we changed our approach to different so many different things and you're right you know that so many suppliers stepped forward and said actually what can we do to help? How can we help you? And we had some of the, you know, the big laptop suppliers were literally emptying warehouses of stuff um, with the priority to certainly the NHS, but also the public sector as a whole to make sure that people could do things. You know, we changed so much technology. We delivered somewhere in the region of 10 years of technology in the space of weeks um, in that early part of the pandemic. And what it taught us is it comes back to that people thing. It taught us actually the, the power of people and what people could do together. And yeah, it was a blur. It was just a complete blur for, for, for me personally, because there's just the sheer long hours that everybody was working was just to say, you know, I've got to do this. I need to get them to make sure this is done. Uh, and we all put our lives on hold as, as people did across multiple sectors um, and just to make sure that we could do things right. So, you know, that they, there's an old phrase that they say, you know, never waste a good crisis. Um, and as awful and truly awful as it was, and, and speaking to clinical colleagues who were dealing with death day in, day out, um, and, you know, we were dealing with, with colleagues that were uh, falling by the wayside, and the truly awful period that it really was. You know what? What came out of that was was that people could really co clo work close together. And there's that camaraderie that goes to, um, throughout the NHS that I've never really found elsewhere, to be honest, that we just roll our sleeves up and get on with it. Um, and even through the you know go lives that I've done recently in the wake of, of COVID, it, again, it's that camaraderie. Let's sit down and figure it out together. Let's, let's just get on with this and do this. And it is that, that, that strong sense of the, the people really made things happen. And I'm sure that was you know, in many, many sectors. But having seen it in the NHS, it was a wonder to behold. And it makes you so proud uh, to, to have worked and work in the NHS and, and the health and care sector. I guess they say that technology um, advances dramatically during a time of war. And I think for us, you know, during COVID, we were at war with COVID at one stage and our technology advancements were massive, absolutely massive. We were doing things that others might have done before, but for, for the NHS, it was completely new. The agile working, uh, flexible working, the, the agile projects that we suddenly realised that actually agile will work within a uh, an NHS environment. We don't have to worry about Prince2 and, and waterfall type projects. We can actually be as agile as the next person. Uh, and I think those sort of things really stuck and, and stayed. Uh, and then as we came out of COVID, the emphasis on our own staff, our health and well-being, our birth 
burnout, etc. Again, suddenly changed the attitudes from from above downwards. You know, we we were more concerned about our our teams. We were more concerned about what was happening on that front line. How we can get the best for those people because if they are operating at their best, then their patients will be getting the best as well. So I think it it. As, as Daniel said, it, it was a world-changing moment, and, and especially for the NHS, it gave us the chance to do things that we hadn't done before and prove a few points. Yes, this will work. Yes, we can work as a team. And yes, we're all in this together. I call it the brave heart moment where we're all running over <laughs> the hill. <laughs> I just wanted to add one thing as well. So I know, Philippa, you and I have, um, have talked about this many times over the years, but what it really showed was the power of our networks, the power of the people that were around us and the people that we work with. Because you know, it wasn't just within in organisations. It was across organisations that we could reach out and go, listen, I need some help with X, Y, and Z. Have you got this? I need 50 laptops. Can you help me with this? Simple things like that. But that real strong network that that's many of us are friends across the the, 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 the organisations that we work in and have been for long, for, for long periods and long years. But we were able to, to call on our networks, and I think it brought our our networks closer together. Um, and it doesn't then matter, you know, what organisations we end up working in. We stay in touch, we stay together, uh, and that has been a real, real strong piece that I've seen over the last few years. Absolutely. Just to add on that, Daniel, the other thing that, that I've seen, um, yeah, since coming in the NHS is is the collaboration now between the clinical teams and the non-clinical and digital teams is just immense now. And you know, it, the, because of the the strife that we all went through together, um, it formed genuine trust and friendships um, among clinical and digital teams that may not existed before. Um, and now, yeah, I think they really understand that we don't just turn things off and turn them back on again you know it's kind of some of the uh, or, or we don't just fix printers um you know we can um we can really provide uh you know life-saving uh, digital solutions uh, that are going to make it different to how the clinical staff uh, are working day in day out my ex-wife is a rheumatology nurse specialist and uh, if you'd asked her in 2019 um could you do your job working from home she absolutely would have laughed at you um but now you know two days a week she's still doing that and it's working really well both for the trust and for her it's changed the way that we live it's changed the way that we do things um it's opened up the realm of possibilities certainly for our clinical uh, colleagues to say you know what can i now do mm. how can i improve and, and the question i got asked this last weekend by a nurse was actually what can i now do that's different what can i uh, uh, now do with technology that i couldn't do before um and it is a it's nice to see that, that they come out and say, you know, I want to be able to, to do something better for my patients. I've now got technology that can help me. But here, here at Sorry Borders, they kind of bore out uh, our health tech team. Um, which is um, you know is a bit unusual in the NHS as I understand it in terms of the way that they work, but they really uh, focus on um, you know user centered design and you know going in and talking to the clinical staff properly mapping out their processes and what they do um, and then you know getting the right system for them but involving the user every single step of the way and again yeah things like that just were, were bore out of um, of the pandemic really that was a good question Dean thanks that's my contribution um, I like the NHS app I think it's fantastic it's much better than it used to be so yeah I could do my prescriptions instantly it's brilliant I don't have to just queue up anymore so I do think there's there's some there's some 
digital component parts where people are using mobile devices more effectively. And ultimately, all of that, I'd assume, has come out of developing quicker and using agile methodologies to kind of use these technologies to drive those changes. So, you know, it's the number one most downloaded app. And why wouldn't it be? It's like literally (laughs) Um, everything you said today kind of illustrates why. Um, And I think that's it, really. For me, it's just uh, uh, to say thank you for for all of you to to join us today. And and, um, and it wouldn't be an Explain It podcast without mentioning a movie or a link to a movie. So I'm glad Back to the Future got in there. That keeps it consistent (laughs) with previous episodes. So yay, yay for you for doing that. Yeah, I think it was all very, very positive. So I think that's really great. So thank you, all of you, and look forward to the next one. Thanks. See you at HET if you're going to be there. I just want to say thank you to the panel today and thank you to Philippa for hosting. You did a fantastic job. If you want to contact us, you can do so on our WhatsApp number. That's 07548 759732. It's 07548 759732. And hope you enjoy this episode. We'll be back with another episode of Explain It very soon. So good luck, goodbye, and we'll speak to you soon. Listener.